Welcome to Factor Magri, dedicated to New Zealand's primary industry. Each week, I talk with farmers and producers, industry professionals, and policymakers to hear their stories and expert opinions that are relevant to both our rural and our urban communities. Wow, what a week we have had in Canterbury. As you will all know, a serious flooding event happened in Canterbury last weekend, and the true extent of the damage to our rural communities is becoming clearer as farmers, and in particular farmers in the Selwyn district, start to assess and clean up their properties. Do they need help? You bet your life they do. New Zealand's Agriculture Minister Damien O'Connor has declared a medium-scale adverse event for Canterbury, unlocking $500,000 of government support for farmers and growers affected by flooding. Mr O'Connor says, and I quote, The funding will help speed up the recovery of farming businesses and includes wellbeing support and specialist technical advice. The money will be used for recovery grants to enable the region's three rural support trusts to provide extra help to farmers and for other flood assistance where needed. Further support would be considered once the full extent of the flooding became clearer. Based on the advice he has received from the Ministry for Primary Industries, staff based in the area, the scale of impact is beyond the community's ability to cope. Support is available for farmers who are short of livestock feed or who have had baleage and fodder crops washed away or damaged by floodwaters. An initial support package of $500,000 is a good start, but it is indeed, in my view anyway, a nominal sum given the magnitude and widespread damage the floods have caused to our farmers in the region. After talking with farmers in the area, they tell me that the repair costs will run into six figures on their individual properties alone. So the bottom line is, we need more funding unlocked, to use Mr O'Connor's words. Farmers, reach out to your local rural support trust Beef and Lamb or Dairy and Z if you need help in any way. And don't forget, Canterbury before this flood event was in a drought. Talk about one extreme to the next. This is a good example of how hard farming can be. It can be brutal. Last year I spent some time talking to newer scientist Petra Pierce about what science tells us our farmers can expect as we move deeper into the century. Let's have a listen to one of these interviews, as it's most certainly relevant today as it was then. And I think you'll find some interesting comments from Petra. Hello Petra. Please can you tell me about the work that you do? So I'm a climate scientist at NIWA, which is the National Institute of Water and Atmospheric Research. Um, I have experience in providing climate change information to the likes of regional councils and businesses Um, and communicating what climate change may mean for different parts of the country in different sectors over the 21st century. We're talking about climate change around New Zealand's main farming regions. Today we're looking at Canterbury. From a climatic perspective, do you break this region down into different zones? We do, yeah. So Canterbury, um, as you know, is quite a large region and it's got a varying geography across the region. So we break it down into five main climate zones and I'll just list those. So we have the plains, which have uh, prevailing winds from the northeast and the southwest, uh, low rainfall and a relatively large temperature range by New Zealand standards. So we get quite warm temperatures, but also quite cool temperatures there. Uh, we have the eastern foothills and the southern Kaikoura ranges, which have cooler and wetter weather in general and a higher frequency of northwesterlies. Uh, next is the high country near the divide with uh, prevailing northwesterly winds, abundant rainfall, winter snow, and of course we have the glaciers towards the south. And then we have Banks Peninsula and the coastal strip north of Amberley uh, with relatively mild winters 
and rather high rainfall with a winter maximum. And lastly, we have the inland basins and some sheltered valleys inland where rainfall is pretty low with a summer maximum and diurnal and annual temperature ranges are quite large as well. Over the past 20 years, what changes have we seen in rainfall across the region? So generally, we look at trends over longer periods than 20 years. And interestingly, um, there's actually no clear trends in annual rainfall across anywhere in New Zealand. But some locations in uh, Northland, Wellington, Taranaki and Otago show increases or decreases for different seasons. But um, there's nothing significant for Canterbury at this point. But in terms of intense rainfall events, so those uh, those rainfall events which are quite rare or like if you um, think about the wettest day of the year on average, um, the amount of rainfall that is recorded on that wettest day of the year has actually increased in Timaru and Dunedin as well over the 50-odd years to 2016. And with climate change, we expect to see these kinds of events, so these extreme rainfall events, actually increase further in intensity due to more moisture being able to be held in a warmer atmosphere. From a farming perspective, this has potential impacts on pushing seasons out or changing seasons. Yeah, yeah. So um, we definitely see that with changes to temperature and the impacts those temperature changes can have on the growing season, for example. And, you know, you're seeing uh, certain types of crops ripen quicker. So, for example, a couple of summers ago, we had quite a hot summer and a hot spring, and that led uh, grapes in, in most parts of the country actually um, ripen and develop a lot quicker, and the harvest was then a lot earlier than it, than it usually would be. So we're expecting to see these kinds of impacts increase over time for, for the primary sector. And in terms of sunshine hours in Canterbury, has there been any significant change there? There has been. So there has been a, an increase in sunshine hours for Christchurch um, over about the last 50 years. And uh, we expect to see this trend continue into the future with ongoing climate change as uh, the increasing greenhouse gas concentrations in the atmosphere, um, they actually drive changes to our overall atmospheric circulation. So um, we have storm tracks which are shifting further south towards the pole and um, subtropical dry zones that are expanding further southwards as well. And so that's why we're likely to get increasing sunshine hours um, over most of New Zealand. What about temperature on the land, in the air and the sea temps? Has there been any change there? Yeah, so we, we have um, a, an index series of climate stations across New Zealand. So we have seven of these stations that are very long running and they go back to 1909 and we can understand our kind of century scale warming. And we can see that there's been about one degree of um, temperature increase over the past century since 1909. And um, Lincoln is one of those sites. And so, yeah, we can, we can see that uh, the human-induced influence on our climate is actually having an impact in New Zealand, and, and we expect this to continue into the future. Um, we have, um, in terms of our warmest years on record, five of our warmest years on record in New Zealand have occurred in the past seven years, 2016 being our warmest year on record and 2018 our second equal warmest. And we're seeing more frequent extreme high temperatures and less frequent extreme low temperatures in the past few decades. Our sea temperatures have also increased. And um, as you may remember, a couple of uh, summers ago, we had two summers in a row where we had significant marine heat waves around New Zealand, um, which had 
flow-on impacts for fisheries and aquaculture and, and native species and those kinds of things. We touched on the Norwest wind. A strong Norwest wind over a 10-day period can have a dramatic impact on moisture levels, particularly going from an okay season to suddenly becoming very dry very, very quickly. Do you see mm. these winds getting more significant? Um, so... We haven't got specific data around the northwesterlies um, in particular, but interestingly, for all wind directions combined, um, the over the last few decades, the highest maximum wind gust in any given year has actually decreased at a number of locations, including Christchurch and Timaru. Obviously not northern Canterbury there, but um, those are just the significant decreases. So that's that's quite an interesting note there that that wind, those high wind speeds are actually going down in general. Again, that's not for the northwesterly specifically. We um, are kind of yet to look into those specific impacts of you know those certain wind directions uh, or wind, yeah, wind directions changing over time but it's something that would be very interesting to look into as it is like you say it has significant impacts for the primary sector in North Canterbury. You touched a bit on extreme events, frosts, hail and snow events. Are we going to see more of that coming at odd times of the year and bigger events? So um, yeah I've touched on extreme rainfall which we expect um, to see increasing over time as we have a warmer atmosphere. Um, In terms of hail Hail is a really interesting one because uh, the the climate models that we use, they're not detailed enough to really tell us a lot about things like thunderstorms and and really small-scale storms that produce things like hail and tornadoes. Mm. Um, So we don't know a lot about how things like hail may change, but we can make some educated guesses or assumptions around uh, we'll have a warmer atmosphere, that atmosphere will hold more moisture, it'll have more energy, and so we may assume that things like hail and thunderstorms may become more severe over time. Um, but again, we don't have the, the kind of uh, the data to back that up quite yet. In terms yeah. of timing during the year, again, yeah, we, we just don't have that data at the moment. But one thing that I think is really interesting is a, a recent study um, in Marlborough, so not too far away from Canterbury, showed that frost, the incident of frost, has actually increased in the past few decades, which is kind of counterintuitive when you have this warming climate overall. We've seen this, you know, long-term warming, but we're getting more frost days in Marlborough. And that's due to changes in atmospheric circulation brought about by human-induced climate change. So we're seeing more of these high-pressure or anticyclonic conditions in the Marlborough area, and this probably stretches down into Canterbury as well. Um, More of these conditions than there used to be, which is causing an increase in frost for some areas. Um, so that's a really interesting kind of yeah that uh, impact that they don't not expect from climate change. Um, however, over time, as the atmosphere continues to warm, we expect that kind of warming influence to to outweigh the the frost baseline. T- temperature is just going to be too high to continue having that that high number of frosts. What climatic trends can a Canterbury farmer expect to see over the next 20, 50 years? Sure. So uh, we'll continue to see ongoing warming in general. So um, although it's really important to remember that we have a variable climate, so it's always going to go up and down from year to year. We're not going to see you know, one year is warm and the next year is warmer than that, then the next year is warmer than that. It's going to go up and down um, with, you know, there's still going to be drivers like El Nino, um, other atmospheric circulation changes that impact our climate from year to year. But overall, our baseline temperature is going to continue to increase as we've seen over the past century. 
Um, we're likely to experience increasing numbers of warm days and potentially reductions in cold conditions. We also, over the next few decades, we may start to see more frequent large rainfall events. So I've talked about some of those. Um, so that may you know, continue to increase into the future, which of course can cause uh, quite significant damage to farms from flooding and soil saturation and stuff like that. On the flip side, uh, because we have a, a warming atmosphere and a warming climate, we may start to see more severe drought events as well. So with, um, with a warmer atmosphere, you have more evaporation from the soils and so then you know, potentially get more drought events as well. Some interesting thoughts and evidence from Niwa. In their view, we can expect more of these extreme events as the years roll on. I think it is also important to mention that while Selwyn took a hammering, Hiranui and North Canterbury have dodged a bullet by and large and received significant rain without the widespread flood damage. Although the rain has come late and any growth will be minimal or restricted given we're now into winter. Prior to this rain, many farmers in North Canterbury were being forced to destock, sending animals to graze on other farms or quitting capital stock and sending trading stock to the meatworks early, not to mention buying an extra supplementary feed at significant cost. And of course, back to Selwyn, where many farmers will be feeling the effects of this significant flood event for years to come. Some say this is a once in 100 year event. I don't think this is the case. Science is telling us more of these events are expected at a higher frequency. Once upon a time, a farmer could by and large plan their year based on seasons. This historic routine appears to be under serious pressure. And I spoke to Andy Fox, a North Canterbury farmer, about this as well. Have a listen to some of his comments about seasonal change. Have you noticed any changes to rainfall on your property over the last 20 years? My grandfather, and I assume my great-grandfather, and certainly my father from my memory, always kept rainfall uh, records. And it's interesting... uh, your own memory tends to be sort of in the last 10 to 20 year period. You can remember droughts or snowstorms and stuff like that. Uh, but much further back, you've got to go into the records. So in preparation for today, I just cast my eye over um, those. And this is, I'm going to talk in inches here, which is old money. But the variation in rainfall here can range from 16 inches in a really dry here up to 40 And interestingly, any calendar month can be the wettest month and any calendar month can be the, of the year, can be the driest. So we assume that January, February are the driest and that uh, perhaps June, July, August are the wettest. But there are some good examples where January can be the wettest month and uh, perhaps in the middle of winter you can actually get some quite dry periods. But what I've noticed is that uh, the variation is greater, although we still get that same Uh, an average rainfall of 28 to 30 inches a year, it can be that it tends to fall in blocks rather than evenly spread. And so I think with climate changes resulted in um, more variation rather than it actually drying up. And rainfall, I feel, is probably only part of the story in that with uh, that variation, we've had, I think we're having a lot more wind and particularly the main weather the way the main weather climatic effect that we have here in North Canterbury is the Northwest, and I think we get a, a larger number of stronger, uh, probably more intense Northwesters. So the rainfall may or may not be changing, but certainly 
our ability to grow grass with it's probably diminishing because there's more evapotranspiration through that drying northwest wind. And what about sunshine hours and temperatures? I think uh, I, we've never meant, uh, measured sunshine hours. It's just not quite so easy as a rain gauge to go out after a rain and you look at the rain gauge and that's how much rain you've had. Mm. Whereas sunshine hours and temperatures just aren't quite so easy to measure. Um, so I can't comment on the sunshine hours, but I know temperatures... Uh, we are getting significantly less frost than what we're used to. So mm. ends that date. Everyone knows that date, the 25th of April. I remember as a young boy uh, in the 19, uh, late 1960s, early 1970s, we were getting hard frosts by the end of April. And I can remember uh, going down to the Scargill Hall and skating with the other young kids on um, ice puddles that were just solid ice. Now regularly we can get into... May without even having a frost and the number of frosts per annum have dropped off as well so no denying it the temperatures have certainly gone up um what percentage that is I can't tell you but that's just a, a layman sheep and beef farmer talking that it, it has got warmer have your typical trading periods changed at all yeah I think they have um so I'm a, North Canterbury and you know, I think we've probably seen this in a few east coast um provincial areas. North Canterbury's always had a dry January, January, sort of February period. So what I do is I make sure now that I'm a lot better sold up uh, by Christmas. Uh, Almost probably two-thirds of my trading stock lambs are gone by Christmas. And traditionally, on my father's day, we always tried to get a thousand lambs gone by Christmas. I tried to to get five thousand lambs gone by Christmas, give or take a wee bit. And if we do get um, good growth through January, February, or have an amazing autumn, what you can do is then put that feed into the stock that you have remaining, get the ewes carrying an extra kilogram or two of uh, body weight, make sure that the cows are better, the calves at foot, uh, weaning weights in the calves, which usually take place in March or April, they can be heavier. And I think the other thing too is we've had a lot of more irrigated areas in Canterbury in particular, and I think that means with probably improved connectivity, uh, there's more opportunity for store stock as well, which I don't hesitate to sell before Christmas if I have to. If you know a farmer that has been impacted by the recent flood, reach out and offer help in any way that you can. And Mr O'Connor, more money is needed in mid-Canterbury. The overwhelming task of the clean-up is immense. That's all from me this week. Stay safe out there. Thank you for listening and catch you next time on Factor Magri.